Bless you, Doc. Bless you. <laughs> let's, let's go before the king. Father, we thank you um, that Christ is on the throne and that um, he um, dispenses grace regularly. Lord God, as we um, dive into the text, as we dive into the scriptures, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart uh, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, God, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I trust, in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I, got, I got a couple of things to say before I dive into this. Um, and it's going to sound real crazy. But if you got any of my books, I want them back. Some of the Africans have been coming over my house, snatching my books. I'm going to have to get me a librarian. I went to work on the message today, can't find nothing the other day. While I was working on the message the other day. I'm like, oh, they got my stuff. So some some of those who got celebrated today got some of my books, too. I want my books, bro. All right? All right. Also, I want y'all to be patient with us as we... um, (laughs) And we got to learn y'all names. Like, y'all got to, let me come up to me. What's my name? You don't know me, do you? You don't know my name, do you? Just t- stop all that. Tell me your name, man. Playing with me. Tell me your name, man. And keep repeating until I get it, because I'm really, I'm usually good with names, but you got to keep getting it. Now, if I see you this month, then I'll see you to the summertime, I'm not going to know your name. Bless God. So, that means... You got to keep, every time you come up to me, say, if I, if I already don't know your name, just shake my hand, introduce yourself, and, you know, give your name again. Don't, don't try to front me like in front of your, your friends. That's a little jacked up. So, because we want to, I want to, at this point, I want to get to the three, about 300 of us plus in here. I want us to be able to get, you know what I'm saying, your names down before this thing get out of hand, and I just won't know anybody. Meeting people at the, the corner store and don't know who they are. So, want to be able to really know your name and really know who you are because everybody matters. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, we are in Galatians. Hope you already turned there. Um, we've been in Galatians, and this is um, a book, of course, that we've been going line by line through. You know, one of the things that we like to do, we're not against topical messages, but one of the things that we like to do is we think that it's extremely important that Christians understand their faith. And one of the ways in which Christians understand their faith is they are to go through the book what we would call expositionally. And so expositional means is going through the text and exposing the nutrients and the principles that the scriptures have. Amen. And so today we're going to go and I'm going to talk about the intimacy of the gospel as intimacy with God. The gospel as intimacy with God. Um, We're going to do verses 1 through 7 of chapter chapter, um, 4. And um, we, we, it's going to be we're going to we're going to really zoom in on some things today as it relates um, to the idea of the gospel um, as intimacy with God. I know up to this point we've talked a lot about the defense of the gospel. We've talked a lot about the, uh, an emphasis on um, um, on the gospel as having it clearly um, 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 in our minds and our ability to share the gospel. However, right here in this in this passage, I think that Paul uses quite a different apologetic as it relates to how he wants the believers in Christ 
um, to relate to the gospel, um, not just looking back, but looking now and looking forward. Um, he, he wants them to be able to see it from the perspective of intimacy, that everything that God did in relation to the gospel um, is, 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 is intimate. And you know that one of the things that we, we teach here, which is a hermeneutic, in other words, how you look at what type of grid do you look at Scripture? One of the things that we try to emphasize in how we look at Scripture is we do several things. We believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, a historical interpretation of the Bible, literal, historical, and grammatical interpretation, but we also believe in a Christological interpretation. In other words, everywhere in the Bible is talking about Jesus. And so the question is, what does Jesus look like in that passage? And so, but then we also believe in a canonical interpretation of Scripture. In other words, what we want to do is we want to see what Scripture says about Scripture. So if you want to understand Scripture, even if you don't have a commentary, a lexicon, uh, or, or concordance, you can use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And one of the things about redemptive historic history that we look at, and the reason why I zoom in on that is because I don't want us to, to zoom in on a God-centeredness and a Christ-centeredness in a way that negates his impact on us. Because some people can say, oh, he talked about man, that's a man-centered message. The reason why I'm pointing at that, because I think sometimes we need to know what is the fundamental impact that God has on us through the gospel. So in this passage, Paul kind of lays out real, some real practical, the first part is a little complex, but, but, but as, you, as we lay it out and dive into this, it's going to be beautiful in seeing what a view of intimacy of, of, of God is. Let's read verses 1 through 7. He says, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What's interesting is last time, um, as we were trekking through these scriptures, we talked about the fact that there is no distinction in relation to everybody in Christ is equal. What do we mean by that? Equal in essence. We're talking about based on the latter part of verse 3 last week. We saw that everybody in Christ Jesus, like God doesn't make distinction how much he saves a man, a woman, a slave, a free person, a, a Jew or a Gentile. In other words, God has distinctiveness in, in relation to how he saves. He, he has uh, the fundamental requirements of every Christian is pretty much the same. However, every believer, whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free, we have different functions. And so in this passage, we saw in last week that, um, the, the, that the law was pointing to Jesus. But this week, we're going to see something different in relation to the law. Because, again, we're trying to help Christians see that the, how to read the entire Bible as Christian scripture. 
And so, the, and so this week he, he does something different, which brings me to my first point. The Father prepares us for intimacy. The illustration that I want to use, I can't use to, in relation to this. But, but, but there's some beautiful nutrition in here because the law points to Jesus, but not only does it point us to Jesus, it prepares us for Jesus. And so what the father did was the father prepared for intimacy with us. And so it talks about in verses one, two, and three, it says, it says in, 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 um, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So what he does is he uses the illustration of someone who um, has an ex- uh, their parent um, has loot, and because their parent has a lot of loot, um, they're at a young age, and being at a young age, um, they're unable to experience the fullness of their loot. They've maybe got an allowance or something like that, but functionally in relation to the inheritance or part of um, the lots or the part of the resources of that parent is put on lockdown. And it's put on lockdown. You know, all the way up to age 14, there's some things that's put on lockdown. But then for them, up to the age 25 is when the inheritance was released. And so here in this passage, in relation to intimacy, he uses a beautiful illustration um, to talk about the relationship of Jew and Greek before Jesus Christ came. And he begins talking about the preparatory work of what it look, looks like for God to promise his people something, but don't let it loose until it's his proper time to let those promises loose or apply them to, to, to their lives. And I'm, we're going to be all through the scriptures on explaining this. He calls them three things. He calls the person an heir. He calls them a child. He calls them a slave. And he calls them an owner. In other words, there is a time period in which you can't, the, the person could not handle getting the fullness of their inheritance. They had to be prepared for their inheritance. And so what God says through the law is that the law had within, um, with, within its structure the preparatory work of preparing people um, for the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Now check this out. Because in being a slave and a child, um, the illustration is used to the, uh, the inexperience and his inability to even flow in and live out the reality of that promise. There are two types of people that are given, um, which the law describes in two ways here. It's described as a guardian and it's described as a manager. Now, we, we saw earlier that the word for guardian last time was pedagogy. This is a different word, even though it has some similarities. All the way up until the age 14, a parent that has some loot, that has some riches, they will put their child under a guardian. And this guardian was to walk, to help this person walk in different areas of maturity in their life. And so basically, they were kind of like a nanny, kind of like a tutor to them. But then you had the manager, which the manager has a different role. The role of the manager is to hold on to the inheritance. So the, so the father would put them, they didn't have IRAs, 401Ks, and 403Bs. So what the manager would do is the manager would make sure that nobody touched the inheritance of the child until it was time for the child to get his loot. And that was around 22 to 25 years old. You know, I was like, dang, 22, 25 years old, you got to wait for all that loot. But what he does is he, say, he gives a, a great explanation of the role of the guardian. He goes into verse 3. And he says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, what, the, what, what happened was, as we talked about last week, 
is the law had us in slavery. The law had us under um, God's eternal edict of the fact that we can't earn his grace on our own. And so in light of that, he gave the law as a pointing measure until Christ came to make sure that we were able um, to understand and have moral premise. Now, how does that relate to the Jew and how does that relate to the Gentile? Excellent. Well, over in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 is dope because it leaves people without any excuse. It says in verse uh, uh, 12, it says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned, verse 12 of chapter 2, And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the hearers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law or the written law. So everybody, um, when, 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 when we were created by God um, in Adam, everybody had the law in principle written on the crevices and cracks of our heart. What happened is when Adam and Eve fronted on God, everything got jacked up. What happened is when they fronted on him, um, everything was lost. So we, we are all born in the image of who? God, the image of God. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, stay with me, um, uh, uh, verses 26 and 27, it says, um, male and female, he created them in the image of God, he created them. Now, in James, it also says that even if a person is not a believer, they have the what? Image of God. And so it forces us not to murder people. Why? Because that is murdering what? The image of God. Now, there are different aspects of the, of the, of the image of God. Now, stay with me, because this is, this is going to kind of lay out God's preparatory work. And so what happened was, is that God engrafted in some way the law on our hearts. So we had a sense of righteousness. Um, we had a sense of morality. We had a sense of intellect. We, we had a sense of passion. We have a sense of all of those things. But when the fall happened, we didn't lose a sense of them. We just can't utilize them to please God. So now you still have a sense of right. You have a sense of morality, even though you're totally depraved. Because Romans, remember Romans 3 says, um, no man seeks after God. Everybody's mouth is an open grave. They tore up from the floor up, jacked up whole nine. Okay. However, people always ask, like Oprah always asks on the show, well, how can you tell me that the good guy over here, I mean, he's doing his work. He's doing the truth. That's for him. Um, that's truth for him. How can you tell him that his truth isn't truth, but your truth is truth? And see, what Oprah is struggling through is she's struggling with fallen goodness. See, because the law is still there, and that's why you have a conscience. Even unbelievers have a conscience. And so what God utilized, God did is God booby-trapped every human being. God booby-trapped the souls of every human being with a sense of something other. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says God has made everything for a time and a season. But then it says, and he placed eternity in their hearts. But then he says, but in placing eternity in their hearts, he still doesn't let them understand eternity. Why would he do that? People running around searching. Some of y'all still searching. Some of y'all getting blooded on the block. 
Oh, they got quiet. Some of y'all loving, looking, looking for eternity in, 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 in a girl. Some of you are looking for eternity in a dude. Some of you are looking for eternity in your major. But you don't, but see, these people didn't know it was eternity that they were looking for. Or an eternal one. So what they do is they misinterpret the booby traps because of fallenness. And so what God does is he, he sneaks little commercials and reminders into the soul of the totally depraved person to let them know that something is wrong. It's just like your man Morpheus when he told you, when he, when he, when he grabbed your, 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 your man uh, Neil, he said, you can sense something wrong, can't you? You can sense something wrong, but you don't know what it is. I remember Trinity, Tr- Trinity met him up in the club and she says, you want to know the question, don't you? <laughs> and he, you can tell, he says, what is the matrix? That's groping. See, Paul, when he was preaching on Mars Hill, he said something interesting on Mars Hill. He says, he says that God, what he has done is the time of ignorance has passed. Now, when the time of ignorance has passed, what God does is check it out what he says, what Paul says about, about God's word. He says in verse 26, he says, and he made from one man every nation, one, uh, one nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Now, the Bible says, Jesus, no one can come to God unless he's drawn by God. However, what happens is, is that God still has an expectation on every man that they find him. Now, what's funny is, is God ain't lost. So he doesn't necessarily need to be found. However, the language is used to talk about the searching mechanism that God has placed in the heart of men. Now, many people misinterpret that, and so they search for a whole bunch of things. And so what God says, what what my man Paul is saying in Galatians, is he's saying, look, the law was put in our hearts as a preparatory measure to prepare us for Jesus. But many people misinterpreted that preparing measure. And so what is the meaning? We talk about total depravity. What does that mean? It means the inability to get the grace of God in your own strength. That means that I don't care how many old ladies you help across the street, how much loot you give to the hospital, how many people with age you go and visit. Those are decent things, but they don't merit the grace of God. And so what happens is, is let's understand the matrix of a jacked up person's soul. In other words, because he said that elementary, we were enslaved to the elementary principles. So how were we enslaved to them? So in, in other words, this, this idea of total depravity generally acknowledged that there is a twofold image of God in man. That's the metaphorical or the spiritual image and the ethical image. The former or the metaphysical or spiritual image is broad in scope. Man is personal, relational, immortal. Do you know that all human beings whether you go to heaven or hell or know Jesus is immortal. Did you know that? Everybody got immortality. It's just that there's eternal death and eternal life. But everybody, everybody's going to exist eternally. It's just the ones that go to hell, 
don't have the life within them enough to redeem themselves for their own sin. So the penalty is to spend eternity because God is eternity and it takes eternity to redeem for eternity. And therefore, since they can't, they got to spend eternity there. So everybody, everybody going to spend eternity. Like everybody said, I'm a spiritual. Yes, you are a spiritual being. Everybody is. Spiritually dead, spiritually alive. According to what kind of spiritual are you talking about? And so sometimes people use their spiritual deadness to get to God. What does spiritually dead mean? Separated. Unable for the aroma of your life to count before the nostrils of God. In other words, you're a stench. You're a corpse. You're a decaying cavity in his spirit. Like, he don't, he, he, I mean, that's why he got a front on us. But what's so dope about God is he's booby-trapped our souls that Paul says, I know what y'all doing. Y'all are real religious. Y'all trying to feel your way toward him. But listen, but listen, he says, but God has made provision for that reality. But let's, let's check this out. And then the broader sense of the Im- image means, say, defaced but not erased. In other words, what happened at the fall is our, the image of God was defaced. In other words, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't have the fullness of the reborn connection to God that Adam had. And so what happens is, is that connection to God was removed, and not only was that hotline to God removed, but then man's ability to bangingly reflect the glory of God was removed. However, the components or the hardware was still there. So God spiritually allowed man to die based on his choice to go a different direction. And so man spends his life enslaved to his attempts to use old school hardware to get to a new school God. You know what I'm saying? I, remember, I, saw, I saw a computer one day. It was a 286. Now, some of y'all don't even know what that is. A 286. That means 286 megabytes. That's what the whole hard drive had as a memory. And that thing would just make a click of that. When you turn it on, you go get some coffee, you go take a shower, you go work out. I mean, you put a program on it, it just goes, just shut down. It can't handle nothing. That's why when you get software, that's why when you get software now, you have to check the specs on your computer to see whether or not that software is compatible with that computer because the software might be too much for the computer. Well, that's what it's like spiritually. It's where old school computers fall in. And God's software doesn't work when we try to download it without him upgrading us. What happens is, is we get on lock. And that's why people confuse when you're talking to them. That's their hard drive going. Like, you can't understand what you're saying. Enslaved. Enslaved can't get it. Like, like I remember I used to be like, that's dumb. That's dumb. How's, some, how's somebody going down the cross? And that count. Like, that's a, like, that ain't, like, in other words, people, we're jacked up. But listen, God didn't let the fact, based on the text, our total depravity get in the way of him preparing us. 
Some of y'all, before you trusted Jesus, can see the fingerprints of God on your life. Even before you trusted Christ. I mean, I mean, you weren't saved. It's just him just doing. You don't even know why you made the decision. I mean, you don't even know why you got what you got, but it was just some fingerprints in the sand where God was moving on your life and doing stuff without you even being born again. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all think God started working on you when you became a believer. But God, this is talking about, Paul is talking about redemptive history. Say redemptive history. Redemptive history is the history and format by which we see how God gets people close to him. The ride, the journey, the saga. so, So everybody, even through the Bible, the Old Testament is about a saga. It's about pictures and sneak previews and commercials and infomercials of redemption. Where God is, 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 is continuously wooing and preparing man for what it looks like to have the consummation of an eternal relationship with him. And so Paul is saying in this passage, he says we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, we, we, we had a, a dumbed down sense of morality. We had a dumbed down sense of spiritual morality. We had a dumbed down sense of what it looks like to be in connection with God. And the sad part about it is there are people that sit in churches all over America that are still trying to feel their way towards them. And so, and so what's beautiful about Paul's analogy is he's talking about God made these promises to the children of Israel. Um, he made these promises, but they were, they were spiritually blind in their ability to experience the full gambit of his preparatory work. And so we were enslaved. But then I like this part. It says in verse 4, it says, but when the fullness of time had come. We can talk about the fullness of time. All evening. The fullness of time. What, what, what does the fullness of time? I bring you to my next point. The father makes provision to create intimacy. We saw the first one was the father prepares us for intimacy. But not only does he prepare us for intimacy, he makes provision for intimacy. So it says in the fullness of time. Man, we got to pass. We got to do a series on the decrees of God. I was just running into stuff during this study. Just the stuff that God decrees that's unchangeable. And what God, when he decrees something, God is a good planner. Because God has an eternal, uh, uh, an, 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 an eternal, uh, what, what you could call outlook or something. You know what I'm saying? God got him a, a, an, an, an eternal, an eternal, what them things call you, scheduling? Planner, but what did, what did you call it? PDA, plat out, PDA. God has an eternal PDA. Whenever he decrees something, he sets a date. He sets a date for it. He says, no matter what man is doing, no matter what's happening at that time, what I say is going to come to pass is going to come to pass. And so, but what God does is people think they're building buildings and they're tearing down buildings and, and they're doing all of this stuff and planning and thinking that they're working out history on their own. 
Whereas God is in the shadows and in the scenes, blowing into man's heart, blowing into his mind, plans to bring to fulfillment that which is the fullness of time. The question is, the Father says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time. God talks about fullness of time. Zechariah 14.7. In Matthew 13.32. In Mark 1.15. In Ephesians 1.10 and Acts 1.7. Acts 1.7 is the funniest one. You know, the, the disciples was like, all right, Jesus, this one, or the kingdom finna show up, ain't it? Where is it at, Jesus? Jesus say, Jesus say, he said, when, when is things going to be restored? Jesus said, cool your jets, fam. Chill out. He said, this is, this is what you need to know, and this is what you don't need to know. This is what you need to know. Um, this is what you don't need to know. Listen, God does stuff after the counsel of his own will. So it's not for you to know the times and the epochs of which the Father has set according to his own time schedule. But for you, this is what you need to know. In a few days from now, you're going to receive power. So see, in relation to the fullness of time, God does two things. He schedules his time, but then he gives requirements of man when the time comes. And so this is important for the believer that he said in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son. What, what does this mean, the fullness of time? I, I, I love this verse because it, it talks about a lot of things. It talks about spiritual timing and natural timing. Spiritual timing and natural timing. And sometimes you can't tell the difference between the two. Because God waited. First off, God decreed it. So God ain't saying, let me see what man got going on. Come here, come here, Holy Spirit. Let's, let's check out what they're doing. Yeah, come here, Jesus. Let's check out. Oh, that's what they're going to do. All right, let's, let's, um, what you think? I don't know. I mean, man, tripping. That's what we should do. Now, God don't work like that. Like, God ain't trying, like, he not waiting for you before he make a decree. See, I know some of us think that, that our lives are so dope. Off the hook that God is waiting for us to do something, then he going to do something. Let me tell you something. God could, in a sense, care less about the orchestrations of man. God decrees what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it happens, and, and man has to get in line with it. Because the Bible says that when Jesus came on the scene, they weren't ready. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They was like, where? I don't see no kingdom. I don't see no robes and no crowns and no bling bling. Where, where's the kingdom? And he's just looking at them like they're crazy. Because they don't understand spiritual and natural timing. And in this verse, and you got to understand, it's some good application for spiritual and natural timing. I'm going to get to it. But I want to do the theological principle so you can know why. See, I can run the application. Now, there's several things. God decreed it. That's spiritual. But then culture. You know God utilizes culture's timing. Hellenism during this period, it was interesting. A few hundred years before, about 400 years before the birth of Christ, four or 500 years, in about 40, 438 B.C., a dude named Alexander the Great came on the scene. Some of y'all remember him from your history class. But you don't know the deeper echelons of what role God used him in order to make way for the coming of Jesus. See, he went around pillaging things for Greece. He went down to Egypt. 
Some of y'all, um, former black militants, read that book, Stolen Legacy. Some of that stuff true. The rest of it's conspiracy theory. But he went down into Egypt and started snatching, just te- uh, tearing the, the noses, and just, tearing Egypt, just tearing Egypt up, taking stuff, uh, pillaged the library of Alexandria, went, went all over the place, especially Persia, um, and tore up Persia and took their stuff and copped them and created a culture called Hellenism. He got lower Europe, low, uh, 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 south, a uh, south, uh, probably like around South, Western Asia, and Northern Africa. And what he did was he, he made a hybrid culture. He took their art forms. He took their social forms. He took their, their, their psychological formats. He, he utilized that. He used that language. He utilized a lot of stuff to make a hybrid culture called Hellenism. And one of the impact of these things is, is this culture um, d- developed cross-cultural connectivity between these people in this particular area where Jesus and the apostles were going to walk and preach. But not only that, Koine Greek. It's slang Greek. It's everyday, regular day Greek. The language. So God even utilized the preparation of a language for the unified Greco-Roman Empire to have one language. All of this stuff is a setup. It's just an alley-oop doing like this, and Jesus Christ, like Al. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, this alley-oop. But then even the art forms. The offering, during this period of time, it got a lot of, it, they had a lot of, I mean, that's where you see the new joints with no arms on and they just standing like this and carrying on, or the dude standing like this with no clothes on. Like, all of that was developed during that period. So that's when a lot of freaky art came out. All that nude art you see from the Greek culture, you'd be like, what were they thinking? What? Like, I mean, you just kind of look at them. But a lot of that erotic art came forth during that period. The question is, how would God use that? Not only that, geography. Because of their desire for connectivity between everyone that they had conquered, they built roads. These are the same roads that Paul and the apostles went out for. In the fullness of time, God said they thought they were making an empire. But they didn't know they were making room for the gospel to get out. They didn't know that their art was going to be the background of the epistles. They didn't know that. And I believe today hip-hop is like a modern-day Hellenism. Modern-day Hellenism. Because just like Hellenism, it sought to conquer and be on, be everywhere. Even after the death of Alexander the Great. And so even looking at God prepares spiritually for intimacy with us, but he also prepares the physicality of life, geography, art, culture. But the, but the difference is, is unbelievers unknowingly do it, but the believer is supposed to knowingly do it. How is your life set up to be a road for the gospel? Is your life set up for God's plan for eternal intimacy with humans? God sent Jesus in the fullness of time, but there are fullness of times, little fullness of times after that. The question is, how do you, I'm not saying you got to go to seminary and all of that, but I'm asking you today, how does your life play a role in God surfing on your shoulders to get his message out? See, many of us, we don't think of legacy. We don't think of anything, you know, I want a position so I can get this and I can get this amount of money. 
And so I can get this and I get How can, can God leverage your life for his fullness of times? Can God utilize the way you put your hand to the plow? Or are you so wrapped up in what you want and your desire to get on MTV careers? Say, how you doing, MTV? Come on in. This is my living room right here, man. Right here. Oh, man, we got MTV on, on the big screen, man. Check that thing out, man. 67 inches, 67 inches. They got this 85-inch coming in. Man, check out the bedroom. This is where it all goes down. This is where it all goes down. Come on down to my garage. All right, man. There it is. There it is. There it is. Look at it. Open them doors. Open automatically. Is that what your life is about? If you ain't got no Bentley, you ain't no player. What you got in the fridge? What you got in the fridge? Ah! Keep it. What, 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 where is your life in relation to God leveraging your life? Jesus leveraged his life. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And in that fullness of time, there were things that prepared. How we as believers, based on, uh, for, uh, I mean, uh, based on Titus 1.12, are supposed to set up, based on verses 12 through 13, the coming of Jesus. That, that was a fullness of time when he came into being, but the believer is supposed to prepare for the fullness of time that is coming. How was your life preparing for the fullness of times? I'm not saying you got to take a vow of poverty. I will buy no property. I will, I will shop at thrift stores. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's a deep importance for the depth of the Christological fullness. We got to live in light of the gospel. And in living in light of the gospel... We have to live in a perpetual time of fulfillment. When Jesus read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2a, he was talking about his first advent. And we're living in light of his first advent or his first coming. Verses 2b and on is about his second advent. That's why he stopped. Because the time wasn't fulfilled yet. That's why he said, what did he say after he read uh, the, the A part of two? These words have been what? Fulfilled in your hearing. In the fullness of time, God said, for, what I like about Jesus is he had an in-depth God consciousness. He was, he was always in sync with the fact in, that the fullness of times were at hand and that he wanted to maximize and take advantage of the timing that God had prepared him for in his ministry. He understood that through him that God was going to make provision for intimacy with him. Through him. The Bible says, how would they hear without a preacher? There you are. There are a bunch of them out here. How is your life? I didn't mean to spend too much time on this point, but how is your life navigated? That doesn't mean you got to come out of the business world. The question is, how does your relationship to the business world 
live in light of the fullness of times? How does bus driving, whatever you do, how does, how does that live in light of the fullness of times of preparing people for intimacy with Christ? And what's dope about Jesus and centered on Jesus is the fact that Jesus leveraged his life, leveraged his experiences based on his understanding of the fullness of time. But not only that, the fullness of time was also because of persecution. Wow. That was the best time for the church to get persecuted. That sounds crazy. That was the best time. Why? Roman Empire was a pluralistic empire. Because they were a pluralistic empire, it would be good to send a community of people into a place to be persecuted. The best time. Look at God looks at the fullness of time, y'all. You know how to preach this. It's my season. It's your season today. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. How about telling, prophesying somebody getting beat down? Now, we're not worshiping persecution. But this was the best time based on the roads for when in, in chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts, they had a way, somewhere to go on roads when persecution broke out. When they went, they took the gospel with them and they were persecuted everywhere they go. That's the fullness of time. Can, can, listen, can you deal with how God will formulate the fullness of time on your life? The fullness of time don't always look like you want it to look. We spend our times dreaming about a time that we can create for ourselves. But the question is, what about the time that God creates for his purposes, his decrees? Can you dream based on a biblical dreaming format? So persecution came out. But what's dope is God doesn't do anything prematurely. He always does it absolutely in his time. Then it says he sent forth his son. That's missional language. He sent. He sent Jesus as a missionary on the planet Earth. And the center of Jesus' mission was to be obedient to the Father based on this passage and provide intimacy for those who did not have intimacy with God. Through him. It says born of a virgin under the law or born of a woman under the law. What does that mean? Interesting. Born of a woman. Well, I mean, uh, 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 God sent forth his son. Points to the fact that Jesus is eternally the son. Just a, just a side note. There are a group of people that teach out there that Jesus became the son. I would say that's heretical. Jesus didn't become anything. He took on an additional nature. So it says he sent his son. That means he was his son before he was sent. You get that? That means he didn't come on earth and become the son. Oh, I didn't know what this felt like to be a son. He was always the son. But he said born of a virgin. Human. Under the law. He submitted himself under the law even though he's eternal and didn't need to be under the law. And superseded the law. So Jesus became the hybrid missionary. The hybrid. Couldn't even peg this dude. 100, 100. 100% God, 100% man. And yeah, I said 100. That emphasized it a little more. 
But then, but then it says, this brings me to my final point. The father provides intimacy with purpose. The father provides intimacy with purpose. Why did he send forth his son in the fullness of time? The pastors tell us to redeem. Stop right there. Number one, the way he provided intimacy with purpose was he first crushes the beef between God and man. The, the, the word redeem means to buy back. Our bondage was to sin and Satan. He didn't buy us from Satan and sin. Satan didn't um, fully own. He didn't own us. So God did like Jesus Christ's death wasn't currency for Satan. In order for in order for Christ's death to to, to apply, to, like, it, it it would have to be currency to him. Now it was currency to the wrath of God. So when he says to redeem, he says to extinguish the wrath of God. Jesus said, "Are you able to drink from this cup with which I'm about to drink?" What was the cup? He's about to guzzle the wrath of God on the cross. So he crushes the beast. Redemption. It's God's means for shalom, comprehensive wholeness, to get everything back in eternal order. When we talk about this idea of redemption, we talk about God buying stuff back, even though he owns it all, all of it's his, he can do with it what he wants. But he's talking about purposeful purchase. In other words, when God purchases something, he uses it for a different purpose than what it was identified as being used before. He re, he's rehabbing the universe. Like you see these guys, man, out here rehabbing cribs around here. They put them up on stills, put them up on wood, go in, gut the whole joint, get it all the uh, uh, water, water brush the brick, rehabbing. Redeem has the idea of rehabbing. God, God, see, see what's dope about God is his call to intimacy and the intimacy that the gospel does. He's willing to take a hit for everything that it costs. To bring intimacy. So he has intimacy with a purpose. Therefore, there's no intimacy without sacrifice. No intimacy without sacrifice. Couples, take that home with you. Premaritals. Take it home when you get married. But intimacy takes sacrifice. Jesus' death was the cause for intimacy. And so, and, so, and, so, and so Paul says he came to redeem, so he crushed it to crush the beat, bridge the gap between God and man, but then also to create eternal family. Check this out. It says, to redeem those who were under the law, purpose, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption means to place someone into the family of God. Real simple. That's what adoption means here. To place them in the family of God. You weren't his family. The Bible says that all people who weren't gods were spiritual bastards. It says that in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm not just trying to be cool and use a, a word. That's literally what it meant. It says, if God doesn't discipline you, you're what? Illegitimate. That's a bastard. So they're not children. They're illegitimate. But those who he disciplines, he disciplines them because they're his that means they're legitimate children. Adoption is God making those who are illegitimate legitimate. You were illegitimate without parenthood. You had a surrogate parent called Satan. That was massaging your mind, telling you how good you are and how bad you are. 
He was, he was an abusive pops. Some of y'all still like him. But God brings us into his. See, I don't know if y'all understand this. God, you were not in his family. He takes you from your status as a spiritual and, uh, and, and, and spiritual nomad and removes you out of being an abused child to bringing you into his family. People are always show on TV, look how they live. And you'll see people with dirt huts and, 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 and dirt on the ground and rats running through there. And they're cooking over, over an iron fire, getting infection. You'll see worms in kids' stomach. And you'll, and you'll, you'll see them just put up some stilts and, and throw a piece of calf skin over it. And it's raining. It's flooding inside. They go down to the dirty water where the, where the animals urinate and where they swim and where they drink. And they're going down there. They're washing their clothes in it. But they're also drinking that water. And that water is making them sick. And they they say, why don't you give something to help this person out of this? Well, God didn't send us through a credit, go on the phone, here's my credit card number, visa number uh, 327. No, he sent his son. He came down to that hut and got us. He says, you're being abused. You're in a bad situation. I'm going to bring you into relation. I'm going to take you out of this faulty environment. You're a child. That's what it means to be adopted. It means that you have been replaced. Not replaced, replaced. There's a difference. God doesn't put somebody in your stead. He just takes you from where you are and places you somewhere else. Replaced. Adopted you. Some of y'all can't really relate to family. Some of y'all say, I I ain't really feeling that because... I don't have a good idea what family is. I'm not feeling my pops. He wasn't around. My mom's wasn't around. I don't really have this understanding. Like, don't read a faulty relationship that you had with your parents into the intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. Some of y'all don't like y'all family. Some of y'all are Christians now, and the Christians are better family than your physical family. He did that on purpose. Some of y'all are weeping. Because my parents, my family don't like my family. But when I'm, when I'm around y'all, when I'm in the community of the saints, y'all are more family to me than my family is to me. That's called sensing what it means to be adopted. See, you, see, I like meeting people and I have to find out their child's adopted. I have to find out. You didn't know so and so was adopted? No, I wouldn't have told the difference. Because God doesn't treat any of his children differently. He doesn't treat you better. And then, no, nah, he gives everybody. That's why he says you're an heir. Everybody gets equal inheritance positionally. So, so, so you are in the family of God. Now we got to begin functioning that way. We've been adopted, bought, purchased, placed into a family, an environment. Jesus called it in John 10, the sheepfold. He's the door. Adoption. So he, so, 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 so God creates family, but not only does he create family, but he cultivates, he cultivates authentic relationship. Look at, look at, look at verse, this is so dope. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna end on this because I don't have time to go through all of this. Check this out. It says, and because you are sons, this is not the slight ladies, sons and daughters, it's just a, a, a general term. God has sent the spirit of his son. Oh, my God. 
Look at the intimacy of the triune God. God the Father announces that he wants intimacy. He sends the Son. The Son practically purchases intimacy, and the Spirit affirms and cultivates the intimacy. So you see Father, Son, Spirit deeply involved in what it takes to get intimacy. If you don't believe in the Trinity, it's right here in the passage. It's, it's, it's limitless images of these. So he sent forth his spirit. The spirit is a missionary. But what's dope is the mission field that the spirit is sent to. Look at the text. It's right here. God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, Where? Wow. Your heart is the mission field of the Spirit. Your heart is the greatest place that needs in-depth conversion. People want Spirit fall down. Like the Spirit going to be like, all right, I'm about to take it. I'm about to trip. I'm about to trip. Here I come. I'm falling. Come in this place, Spirit. Come in. Holy Spirit, come. Come on, man. Look, he said he sent them into your heart. The spirit ain't in the atmosphere. He is not, he, not it, he is not in the atmosphere. God sent him into not our physical hearts, but the place of our mind, emotions, and will. The place where we think, the place where we feel, and the place where we make decisions. That's the mission field of the spirit. That's where the deepest Part of the intimacy of the gospel takes place. It's in you. He sends us into the world. He sends the spirit into our hearts. So while we're in the world, the spirit is working on our hearts. Intimacy. 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 He's deeply involved. And so he's on mission in our hearts. Tearing up jacked up thoughts. Changing your mind about stuff. I don't know why I did that. Something just took something, something, huh? You better watch it. He the spirit. As long as it's based on the word. Not that all this led. I was led and you using that as fog for doing your own thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God sent the one who leads in the truth. That's what the Spirit does. He leads you into truth while you're in the world. <laughs> so the Spirit is, is working on the mission. He's contextualizing our hearts for heaven. He's contextualizing our hearts to relate to the Father. Sometimes he'll do something like the text says. It says he sent him. This is funny. The tense of this is funny. It's an heiress, which means Either, either, either it's a done deal in the sense of, uh, of, of but, but here it's talking about a snapshot. In other words, when you take a digital photo of something, eris tense is a past tense of something that you to take a picture of. In other words, there was a point in time in our journey undetermined where the Spirit, God sent forth the Spirit. Now what's funny is the Bible in this text presents salvation as a simultaneous experience of just all of this and the Spirit coming into our hearts. And when he came into our hearts, it says, and he cries, Abba. He cries, Abba. In other words, the spirit 
reminds you that you're a child of God. Now, some of y'all say, I ain't never heard the Spirit say Abba. Some of Abba. I never heard him say Abba. But the Spirit does have a way. Many, I can't even, it, we have to do a study on the Spirit to talk about all the ways that the Spirit cries Abba. The Bible says in Ephesians that the Spirit gets grieved. Guess what he's doing? Calling Abba. Because, see, if you never got grieved, then you ain't a child. That's why he cries Abba in practical ways in your life. Intimacy. That's what this gospel is for. He cries Abba. Some of y'all don't like convicting messages. Why? You scared he's going to cry Abba. But you don't know that's the way that affirms that you're his. Abba. Abba. He's crying in our hearts. Abba is an int- intimate language. It's only used three times. It's used in Mark, by Jesus in Mark 14, 56 I think it is, and then Acts 8, 5, 15. It's interesting. The context of Abba is always intimacy. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells his disciples, he said, come on, pray with your boy. Abba, let this cup pass. The context of Jesus crying Abba is beautiful. He's crying Abba intimately. This is daddy. This ain't just, hey, father. I always watch those shows from the medieval times. Father told me. Sounds weird. Just real distant. He didn't say father. He said Abba. He said, pops. Pops. Man, if it was my will, this cup would pass. But Father, Abba, not my will. I mean, he's calling on relationship to live out relationship. (laughs) He's calling on relationship, intimacy, out of an overflow of having been with God, kicked it with God, chilled with God to help him hold it down. Abba. Has your heart said Abba to God lately? Has your heart cried out to him during struggles? Or have you ignored the need for the Abba relationship with the Father? Oh my God, family. Intimacy. 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 He says he, says he, he says he sends the Spirit into our lives, calling Abba. Another way is the Spirit, sometimes when you're just so hurt and so broken, the Bible says that the Spirit intercedes on your behalf. Not with tongues, because it says the Spirit is doing it for you without you. You're not talking because the groanings can't be uttered. You ain't got to know no Greek. It's just right there. Just right there laid out. We always want to over-spiritualize so we can get involved. You ain't got nothing to do with it. You can't even pray. You ticked off. You angry. You're hurt. You're broken. Your, your eyes are puffy like you've been in a fight because you've been crying so hard. And the spirit goes and says, Abba, I need you to come. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the spirit walks through the depths of God's nature. He and God is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 says. 
So he's walking. So he's omnipresent. He's everything that God is. So he's in God's nature, but he's also in your heart. So he's present in God and he's present inside of you. And he's trying to reconcile. Make me run off this stage. Woo! The Spirit. He ain't no punk, y'all. He's talking to the Father. The Father, Jesus is interceding, talking to the Father. The Spirit is inside of the Father and inside of Jesus, talking to both of them while talking for us. Do you understand the level of intimacy that you now have with God? And you don't want to get up in the morning and pray? I'm tired. <laughs> you don't want to get in the scriptures? Let me tell you a secret about marriage. No, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to that during the mar- couple's time. Also, in so many ways, which one should I do? Ah. Our means of experiencing God the Father, 2 Corinthians 3.18. The Spirit, listen, the Spirit, it says, He takes us. By the Spirit, from one level of glorifying God to another level of glorifying God. When your life is marked by glorifying God, guess what God is doing? Abba. I want you to look for Abba opportunities this week. Look for Abba opportunities. You got to begin to notice that he's calling out He's doing stuff. He's up to stuff. And all of us, all of this doubting and frustration we go through in life, know what, know what it is about a lot of times? Is we don't deal with the fact that the Spirit is noticeably showing us that we're children. And because we ignore it, because we got such a personal agenda going on, we get depressed. We bipolar. We up and we real, real down. And the ups are caused by self-glorification. And because self-glorification doesn't sustain spiritual health, you tank. Somebody tell me some more about myself. Bam! Soon as it's over. Because you got to hear more. More. It keeps it going. More, 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 more. Then when it ends, boom. But see, when the Spirit gives you a high, when He gives you a high, He sustains it and holds it. But He wants you to maintain the spiritual high through spiritual depth. Ah. Uh, anyway, um, we, we got to move. We got to move. Ugh. Discipline. I said that, but I want, I want to say that again. When you made a bad decision, and you know you made a bad decision, and you feel real bad about it, he's crying, Abba. He's crying, Abba. Know why he makes you cry? Because he wants you to say, I'm sorry. He wants you to repent and be restored and then learn. He's crying, Abba, all over this building today. 
all over this place. God wants to remind us that we're his. Maybe you're here today and you're not his. You felt convictions, but that's your conscience condemning you. And God preparing you for salvation. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what it's like. This, this, is, the, this is the, Jesus Christ said in, 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 in John 17 and 3, this is, the, this is eternal life. Verses 1 through 7 is the center of what eternal life is. He sent forth his son that they may know God. That's intimacy. This is the center of eternal life. This is the center of your eternal life. Maybe you're here and you know that you're not in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God wants to be intimate with you. He does. But there's some stuff he has to do based on you admitting that you're jacked up. All of us have admitted it. I don't care how good you think you are, you're worse than you think you are. You're worse off than you think you are because of Adam's sin. But God wants to restore that relationship. He wants to redeem. That's you today. You want to trust Christ as Savior. His death on the cross, his blood spilling, him getting back up from the grave. That's you today. God wants intimacy. In marriages, many times, husbands and wives can't fully experience intimacy until they talk through issues. Can't You just can't. Because it's not going to work out well in the bedroom. It just ain't going to work out. But the same way that is there, it's, it's not going to work out. God ain't going to come in the bedroom with you spiritually. God is saying, listen, admit that you're a sinner. Talk through this with me. And trust my son, and I want you to have eternal intimacy with me. Eternal intimacy. You don't have to pay anything. Come and kick it with your boy. That's what Jesus is saying. Kick it with me so I can take you to the Father. Father, I pray that we would 